You're listening to Pensioners for Independence podcasts. Uh, this week, it's a talk about the UK Single Market Bill, which is currently making its way through the House of Commons. And the talk is by Heather Anderson and was given to Edinburgh Pensioners for Independence Group. OK, so let, let's get started. And I'd like to thank you all very much for joining us today to listen to Heather. Heather is an organic farmer down at Whitmere Farm. Well worth the visit. Heather is also a councillor and should be in the Guinness Book of Records for being the shortest serving MEP one day. Unfortunately, it wasn't longer. You'd have been a fabulous MEP and I hope one day you'll be an MSP, Heather. Thank you very much for having me back. I had a great afternoon with you in Edinburgh. I'm absolutely delighted to come back. Um, then we were talking about Brexit and the future of food and farming, which was pretty grim. Now we're 90 odd days away from all of that coming to fruition. And the topic today is the UKIM, which is the United Kingdom Internal Market Bill. Um, and I basically just wanted to talk a bit about what is in the bill, and but mainly talk with you about what it tells us about where we are in the relationship with the UK government and in the relationship with the rest of the world. Now, this the UK um, white paper was um, published on the 16th of July and is probably in the Guinness Book of Records for having the shortest consultation period of four weeks. So there was this real sense of what is this bill about? Why is it appeared during recess with the Scottish Parliament? Why is the consultation period so short? Why is it being rushed? At which point you think, oh, yeah, we want American trade deals. So it was published on the 16th of July. Um, the first, the white paper was um, an amazing exercise in extolling the virtues of the 1707 Act of Union. It talked at great length about how good the Act of Union had been for the devolved nations. So back in 1707, they, England um, helped us all get off our knees. Um, it was very good for Keith and Falkirk, that, who became amazing market towns. And this was all written into the white paper about renewing our Act of Union vows. Um, the bill came back on the 9th of September um, and when it was published, it had a pretty spectacular response. So this bill, which is quite small, it's 57 pages, managed to breach inter break international law, breach the Good Friday Agreement, breach domestic law, um, threaten a trade deal with the European Union and also um, upset the Americans and threaten a trade deal. So I'm basically going to try now to get to the share part of this so I can share the screen. Share your screen. So that's mm -hmm. just some information from me. I'm a, a councillor in Scottish Borders. I was a former, I was an MEP. I went out in January, but I was only legal for four days because Michael Grove wouldn't authorise my tenure. Um, and I've got my Facebook contacts and Twitter there. So in response to this bill, and Nicola Sturgeon said it's an, an abomination on almost every level. It highlights it highlighting that it breaks international law, makes the prospect of a hard border on the island of Northern Ireland more likely. And there has it was a no holds barred full frontal assault on devolution. Mike Russell said, far from supporting the devolved governments, the UK is doing everything it can to undermine and silence them. The internal market bill not only deliberately breaches international law, it does the same to domestic law as expressed in the constitutional settlement. So my, my first sort of 
responses to this were talking about it demolishing devolution, which is its which is its key one of its key motives. Ian Blackford down in Westminster tabled a cross-party motion asking the House to decline to give the bill a second reading because it breaks international law and is contrary to the established devolved settlement. And that amendment was supported by Plaid Cymru, Liberal Democrats, SDLP, Green and Alliance Party members from across the four nations. And Mark Drakeford, who's the Labour leader in Wales, said this is an enormous power grab, undermining powers that have belonged to Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland for over 20 years. And the bill will do more to hasten the breakup of the union than any anything else since devolution began. We'll oppose it every step of the way. And just to be clear, Nancy Pelosi said there's absolutely no chance of a US-UK trade deal. The Good Friday Agreement is the bedrock of peace in Northern Ireland and an aspiration for the whole world. Whatever form it takes, Brexit cannot be allowed to imperil the Good Friday Agreement, including the stability brought by the invisible and frictionless border between the Irish Republic and the Northern Ireland. So that they're, they're all pretty strong reactions to quite a small bill. Um, but you look, you know, so that gives you a sense of how destabilizing this bill is. So what is it trying to do? It basically says on the front of the bill that it's trying to make provision for an internal market in the UK for goods, services and qualifications. Um, that's a bit of an odd ask since there already is an internal market for goods, services and qualifications in the UK. And we've been operating across that internal market for many, many years. Um, so there was no need for the bill. The bill is solving a problem that doesn't exist for starters. Um, it basically amended the operation of the Northern Ireland Protocol because, as you remember, um, Boris Johnson said that the withdrawal agreement was the most fantastic, brilliant, fantastic agreement ever, except none of them had read it. Um, and when they read it, they realised there would have to be um, a border in the Irish Sea. And because a lot of the Brexiteers didn't like that, they just said, well, we'll put in a, a paragraph that says this bill can just breach international law and domestic law. Um, the new bit that wasn't in the white paper is basically about saying that ministers of the Crown um, can authorise the provision of financial assistance, um, which is the UK government, Westminster, asserting its supremacy and sovereignty over the rest of the United Kingdom. We'll come back to that. And it, the bit that no one seems to have picked up on in part seven, um, the bill allows any business whether they're positioned in the UK or elsewhere in the world, it allows any business to claim that they're being discriminated against because of the provision of distortive or harmful subsidies. So it's basically saying the, the provision of subsidy is suddenly a reserved matter. It's for Westminster. And at the back of the bill, um, it has a whole list of exclusions. And my concern, and I keep asking people to check the law, um, is we are not excluding agriculture. So what this clause would mean would be that Westminster would take over as a reserve matter um, the provision of subsidy and it would allow anybody else, um, any other business, to say, that's not fair, you're discriminating against me because those Scottish farmers are getting payments for beef cup, cup, beef suckler schemes or for less favoured areas. I don't get that subsidy. 
so their subsidy should be prohibited. So it's a really far-reaching bill. It directly reverses the devolution of state aid. So previously what happened was any state aid funding came from Europe and it went directly to Holyrood or the Welsh government or Northern Ireland. And they decided how that money could be used. And it was a parliamentary decision in Scotland about how state aid was used. This basically says, no, it's coming to us in Westminster and we will decide um, what it's spent on and how much you get. Um, it also gives the UK government power to spend in areas that were previously devolved. So basically, you'll, you'll know in the Scotland Act that it was made very clear that if a power wasn't reserved to Westminster, it was devolved. What this does is rip that up and say, we're going to have power in Westminster to decide um, spending on economic development in Scotland infrastructure development in Scotland, cultural development spending in Scotland, and sport and education. All of these are reserved areas. And suddenly the UK government can decide whether or not something is happening. The UK government can decide whether or not we have a bridge across the fourth road bridge, the, 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 the fourth. Um, so this is absolutely ripping out um, the structure of the devolved settlement. It says there will be an internal market across the whole of the UK. And the key thing here is the standards um, set in this internal market are being set by business because any business can come along and say, I'm complaining about these criteria because they're disadvantaging my business. Now, I'll, I'll talk a bit more about that, but basically anybody could come in and say, um, it's going to cost me more money to put a label on Scottish strawberries to say they're made in Scotland, so I'm not going to do it because that would disadvantage me. I'm just going to put a Union Jack on it. Um, it means that anything that comes into the UK and is recognised within the UK has to be recognised and available for sale anywhere else in the UK. So it completely strips out any ability we have um, to ban GM products um, to predict Scottish products. It says, no, whatever goes into the UK, it has to be open and available in the whole of the rest of the United Kingdom. In order to police this, they're going to establish an office for the internal market. And the bit that's interesting here is although we're in this enormous rush to get this bill through before December, um, the internal market that's going to police it isn't going to be set up until 2021. And the key thing for me that I think people are, are not realising uh, is so powerful is the standards and challenging the standards are for businesses, right? So businesses can come in and say, that's not fair. and um, We shouldn't have to comply with that. RSPB um, put a thing in the paper today in the National to say that they, they're running a campaign to stop peat being sold in garden centres in Scotland. So anybody else can go and say, actually, that's discriminating against my garden centre because I should be allowed to sell peat if I want to. And then that level of protection or change in the standards in Scotland would be prohibited because they would be discriminatory. Are people with me so far? As far as I can see. Right. So 
The bill basically covers goods and services. Um, and it's that thing of if the UK say it comes in, it comes in and we can't do anything about it. There is a huge amount of focus on the bill, in the bill, about characteristics of products. And I have really struggled over why there's so much detail. And I'll, I'll come back to why I think there's so much detail later. But it talks about the characteristics of goods. So their nature, their composition, their age, their quality, their performance. So if you think about light bulbs with kite marks or electric kettles with safety performance or cars um, that are um, guaranteed to not give emissions, it's all that kind of thing. So anything which distinguishes a product to say this product has this level of performance, this level of um, characteristics is suddenly brought into consideration by this bill. It covers things like name, description, packaging, labelling, lot marking and date stamping. Now, most people pay no attention to this whatsoever, but what that affects is Scotch beef, um, Scotch salmon, um, grass-fed beef, free-range chicken, um, barn eggs. So all these descriptors which identify a product as having specific characteristics are under the jurisdiction of this bill, right? Um, it includes rearing, keeping, slaughtering of animals, cultivation and harvesting of plants. That's a complete shot across the bows at organics because organic production is about seeing these animals are kept at this level of welfare. And these are the rules around how they're slaughtered, humane slaughter. Um, we don't use, um, you know, a number of chemicals, pesticides, insecticides. Um, artificial nitrogen so all all the details around how something is grown or harvested you know whether it's sprayed um with glyphosate to kill it so that you can harvest the wheat all of those specific details which are about quality and and the levels of toxins in food are under the jurisdiction of this bill um and it also looks into um, inspection, assessment, certification, registration. So anything which checks the quality. So if you think about products rather than food, these are all the details about whether there's a safety mark, whether there's a kite mark, whether there's a guarantee, right? It's a lot of stuff to have in a bill and you wonder why. Basically, um, the bill says that you can't do anything at all um, which puts incoming goods at a disadvantage, right? So the Scottish government couldn't say, we want to ensure that we're using Scot Scotch, Scottish beef um, in the parliament. A local school uh, can't say we want to use local veg, right? Because that would be putting somebody else's veg at a disadvantage. One of the examples given in the white paper was if Wales specified that milk cannot be transported more than a certain distance, which meant in effect that milk from England, Scotland or Northern Ireland could not be sold in Wales, this would be viewed as a case of indirect discrimination and it would be prohibited. Okay, so that is removing the rights of governments or statutory bodies or public procurement to protect anything, which is pretty significant. Um, you can't do anything which makes it more difficult or less attractive. Um, so that's where you come into the labelling. So actually having a line of produce which identify that it's Scottish is 
more expensive. One of the things um, that is said in the white paper was um, that Scotland, the brand, was irrelevant. I'll quote from the white paper. It says, a strong UK brand influences consumer confidence in product quality domestically and abroad and can help improve the volume of UK exports. Research has shown that a Made in Britain label has a positive effect on overseas demand and that customers will, in general, pay a premium for British branded goods above English, Scottish or Welsh. Right. So that's basically saying we're not going to be labelling anything as Welsh or Scottish. OK, um, there's a lot in the bill about how local goods are materially the same as and share the same material circumstances as incoming goods. So you can get an egg which has been injected with a hormone to preserve its life and it's materially the same as the egg from an organic farm. That's the worry about this bill. And it talks a lot about goods being interchangeable or comparable. So why does all of this matter? Um, and I think why all of this matters is this is all part of a concentrated plan, which is what Brexit is about, which is about entering a period of state deregulation on steroids, right? So the whole argument about Brexit was about deregulation, opening up the market, um, having a casino uh, you know, economy where anything goes, anything can come in. Um, one of the things that I've been trying to get my head around is we are all completely mollycoddled. Um, since 1973, we've been in the European Union. Um, we've had decades and decades and decades of protections, tests, kite marks, safety, you know, toys that come in that have been checked to ensure that they don't, they're not dangerous for children, um, not having products that have got lead paint on them, um, not having baby milk that isn't, uh, has no nutritional value. We've had all these protections to ensure that the products that actually reach our shopping baskets have been checked, um, verified, sourced, identified, and that they meet certain levels of safety. Um, we're not, we don't worry about medicines um, not working. We don't worry about getting cancer treatments for children that are actually coloured water. We assume that if we put a light bulb in a, in a light, it won't blow up. So we've had this incredibly safe and protected environment, 47 years, of not having to worry um, that if something says it's safe, it's safe. And on the 1st of January, we suddenly have to take control of our borders. Um, it will be either a very, very low deal or it will be a WTO deal, a World Trade Organization deal. Um, and, and the wonderful thing is all the way through Brexit, they kept saying WTO rules will be fabulous. Now, they don't have any control over the WTO rules. The tariffs and rules in the European Union, we were one of 28 member states with equal power. We agreed the rules, we set the criteria. We've got absolutely no control or influence over the WTO. WTO is like the lowest level, right? And one of the things Mike, Michael Gove has kept saying is there will be tariff-free trade. Well, he's lying, right? Because the minimum tariffs um, for exports leaving the United Kingdom and going anywhere else 
are 15% with an average of 36. So it's not for Michael Gove to tell the WTO that we're not putting tariffs on because the WTO have set them and the European Union have said that, that, that 36% will be the average. So anything that we are exporting already will have a tariff on it. So that's beef, lamb, whiskey, everything else. The other thing that's scary, I'm nearly, I've got a couple of slides and then we can have a conversation. Um, the other thing that's really terrifying is um, we're suddenly left in charge of our borders. We've taken back control um, and suddenly we've got nobody to actually do that, right? So um, there was an exercise done by Peter Henderson a few years ago about what it would take to set up a Scottish Customs and Excise Division for the country. And it said we would have um, 800 officers, customs officers. And I think at the moment we've got 12. Okay. Um, the UK has said they need 50,000 customs officers to manage our borders. Um, I don't know how many they've got, but they've got nothing like that. It takes three, two to three years to train a customs officers and of, a customs officer. And the European Union have been recruiting and training additional customs officers. Um, for the last two years. So we are staggeringly um, unprepared, okay? What's happened in the UK is everybody who used to work in customs and excise, it was merged um, from customs and excise and inland revenue into HMRC in 2005. And basically all of the focus went on immigration control because that was the political hot potato. So I think we've got about 12 customs officers, that's what Peter Henderson said. Um, and looking at the south of Scotland, where we are at the moment, uh, Cairnryan Port will suddenly become a crucial import-export point because it links with the European Union in Ireland and Northern Ireland um, as a port of entry and exit. So suddenly Cairnryan is going to have to be dealing with everything that comes in, both from Northern Ireland with different rules and the European Union from Ireland, um, and it'll suddenly have to be dealing with everything that goes out. And what we know is, as of today, um, we haven't even got agreement on who's responsible um, for doing the work. So it's not clear whether it's going to be environmental health. Um, it's not clear what the paperwork's going to be. Um, we know that we might have something like 125 pieces of paper that need to get filled in. Um, we know that um, business is talking about an extra burden on business. Yeah, 270 million new customs declarations a year. Um, so there's no preparations. We don't know who's going to do it. We don't know what they're going to do. And um, we don't have anywhere for anybody to park. Um, and one of the really big worries is when you go back to the UK Internal Market Bill and the fact that they've taken control over money and investment and infrastructure, what the UK government will want to do is free ports. And free ports are basically um, ways of avoiding tax and revenue. Okay, So instead of us managing a border where 40% of the tax takes would come from customs and excise, we could well be looking at free ports. And we asked Kate Forbes that question on Saturday morning about what would be happening with free ports um, that just benefit business, basically, don't benefit revenue, don't control what's coming in and out. Um, last week, 
Yeah, this was the, the road haulage and logistics organisations on the 3rd of September were trying to get Gove to pay attention and say there's a real issue. We've got all these trucks, we've got all this trade, we know what happens now and we know that nothing's ready. And on the 23rd of September, was that just last week, um, Gove suddenly said, oh, yeah, 50 percent of the trucks arriving won't have the correct paperwork. Now, how they could have the correct paperwork when the correct paperwork hasn't even been agreed? Um, so he's basically saying 50 percent of them won't have the correct paperwork um, because they won't have the correct paperwork. They'll get a 300 pound fine. Um, there'll be two day delays, 7000 lorries. You'll need to get an access um, pass to get into Kent to get parked. Um, there's going to be an 80% fall in the flow rate of the trucks going across um, to the European Union. That'll go on for at least three, if not more, months. 270 million new customs declarations, 300 fines for having their own paperwork. And the, the, so the, the basic thing we have to produce if we're going to export as a third country to the European Union um, is a, a, a certificate of origin and phytosanitation certificates to say this beef was produced here and it's been checked by a vet um, it meets the health standards for export and the European Union have said they're not accepting the draft paperwork that has already been um, submitted because it's inadequate and the other thing that happened over the last couple of weeks is it's become completely clear um, the organics, we will no longer be able to export organic food because the European Union um, set the legal standards for organic production. Every country in the European Union adds on their bit, um, but there has been absolutely nothing done by the UK government over the last four years um, to set up equivalence or recognition of um, similar standards. So that means that on the 1st of January, um, an organic label with a leaf certificate is no longer legal in the European Union. And if you were going to produce and export organic produce, you would have to be certified in the UK and in the European Union. So it, it's this sort of unbelievably sh shambolic nightmare. Um, this was the photograph taken of the fields that they were ploughing up to make car parks through compul compulsory purchase orders down in Kent. Um, and somebody was sending me some nice stuff from Joni Mitchell saying, don't it always seem to go when you don't know what you've got till it's gone. They paid paradise and they put up a parking lot. And it's these guys we have to thank. So every single one of these glorious faces on this slide voted against um, an amendment which would have protected consumers um, from low standard imports after Brexit. So they voted against it. The agricultural bill, which is accompanying the UKIM bill, is currently at the Lords. The Lords have passed an amendment to say, can we ensure that any imports um, meet the current UK standards? Because the UK government has refused to do that. So I'm at my last slide. We're, we're basically, um, watching orchestrated legislation, which is removing all the safety marks, removing the protections, removing the ability to check what's coming in. So apart from not having a customs officer, if you get meat um, off a ship from um, 
the US, there's no traceability. They don't have passports for their cattle. There's no statement of origin. There'll be no declarations about whether it's been frozen, defrosted, frozen again. You know, so basically it's just meat um, and it'll have to come in and be sold as meat. Not meaning to totally depress you, that's just the, the scale of the pincer movement that's going on at the moment. So we hopefully today are in the Scottish Parliament are withholding legislative consent to the UK IM bill. Next week, um, we're trying to get the MPs, our MPs down in Westminster as much information as possible to help them lobby on the agricultural bill to see if we can at least get some protection on existing UK standards. Um, in the Scottish Parliament, there's going, to, there's going to be a continuity bill, which is Scotland saying we want to maintain standards um, with the European Union. And basically, um, we, we just need to get the hell out here and have an independent country. So, that, and I'd just like to talk with you about if that has helped you understand um, the scale of the fronts that we're fighting on and, and just how... Um, how deregulated the UK is going to become and how that strengthens mm -hmm. our case. We're saying we actually want to have a country with some standards, some safeguards, an export market. Um, I've probably said enough. Yeah. I, mean, I think most of us had a very good outline, but when you put it down so succinctly, this is utterly... Terrifying. I see uh, Dave's got his hand up. Thank you very much. That, that was a wonderfully concise and terrifying presentation uh, <laughs> from someone who's lived in um, farmland in Murrayshire for a good deal of his formative years. Um, is there any legal angle we can pursue to uh, trip this up in a Scottish court, do you think? I don't know. Um... You know, I think there's there's all there's so many different things happening in the bill. There's different angles. So the whole thing about the attack on the devolutionary settlement, I think, can go to court mm. because it completely challenges the Scotland Act. Um, you know, it it just totally overwrites what are meant to be reserved matters. Mm -hmm. So I think there's certainly a challenge about whether or not they can legitimately dismantle the devolutionary settlement. Part of the, the stress has been about trying to get the Labour Party, um, who delivered the devolutionary settlement, to stand up for it. Um, you know, and, 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 and what Mike Russell said on Saturday was um, the problem with the UK government is none of them have any understanding of what devolution is. They don't know why it happened. Um, they don't distinguish the SNP from the Scottish Parliament from the people of Scotland. You know, it's just, we're just in the way, right? So they, they, are, they are riding roughshod over that legislation. So I think there's a legal challenge there. Um, and I think the Welsh government would come in with us um, on that because they're feeling it as well. Um, I think in terms of the... The standards issue um, in the agricultural bill, Middle England might be upset about welfare standards. Mm. So next week, there might be a chance to get a profile about saying, do you understand what's happening here? You know, Jacob Rees-Mogg, 
said it'd be much better for us if we could get really cheap food imitating substances and call them food. You know, and that would help poor people, you know. Um, so that's where they're going, mm-hmm. right? They'll basically say this will be much better for people because it'll be cheap. And you think, yeah, well, you find out that if it doesn't have real ingredients in it, it probably is cheaper. Um, so I think we could, and it's that thing about saying, I know chlorinated chicken is the totemic symbol, but what this legislation does is make sure you won't know whether it's been chlorinated or even if it's chicken. So yeah. you're not, there's no traceability, right? So you're not going to be able to say, oh, look, that's chlorinated chicken. Another thing about chlorinated chicken is the European Union are so big, they're the biggest free trade bloc in the world, they're able to turn around and say we're banning that, right? You're just not getting away with it. Um, and it doesn't matter if you come up with scientific arguments to say it's not harmful, get lost. <laughs> in the European Union. The minute we're out of the European Union, we go back to um, what was his name, Barclay, saying, oh, we'll just have to look at the scientific evidence. I think, well, the scientific evidence will say that chlorinated chicken's fine. Right? So, so it's all that thing of we're not going to be big enough to ban that, that stuff coming in. We're not big enough to ban GM. Right? So what we have to do is get our independence and get back in the European Union and ban it with them again. You know, that's our way of having the might to stop this stuff happening. Because until we do that, we're at the mercy of low regulation. We've got nobody to check. We don't have a vet at Cairn Ryan to check the stuff coming in. Really? We don't have a vet to check the stuff going out. You know, so all that shellfish, we haven't even got the paperwork to say we are certifying that this is safe for export. Mm-hmm. I, 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 have, I have no idea what's going to happen on the 1st of January. I think the, the Tories think it's a laugh because it's a bank holiday and maybe nobody will notice. I, you know, but there's going to be food shortages. Aye. Right? Apart from the collapse of trade, there's going to be food shortages because those lorries are going to come in. We order veg every week. We order it on a Tuesday. It um, arrives across the channel on a Sunday. We get it on a Monday. If it sits in a lorry in a Kent car park for two to three days, it, it, it's past its best before it gets here, right? You know, so we have to keep making sure that this is not going to be okay. This is much worse than COVID yeah. in terms of the supply chain. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Very long ramble. No, that's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Tony, uh, would you like to chip Marlene, in? Marlene's got oh, Marlene's just got, yeah. Tony and then Marlene. Yeah, I'm not sure if the Treaty of Union is even relevant relevant anymore, but surely there must be something in that that, that, that Westminster have to respect in that. Now, the main thing that I noticed in, in your list was education, which it doesn't come under the Scotland Act, it comes no. under the Treaty of Union. So, mm-hmm. And there must be other stuff that's affected. So is there not something we can do there? Mm. I, I think the Scotland Act basically said that devolved matters were agriculture, forestry, fisheries, education, training, environment, health, social services, housing, land use, law and order, local government, sport and arts, taxation, some forms, and transport, right? So they know that these are devolved areas. 
Mm. And that's why this is such a blatant breach of that legislation to suddenly say they're going to reserve to Westminster's powers to, in, to intervene on education. So I think that's the challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, the Scotland Act is very clear. If it's not um, reserved, it's devolved. Yeah. And they've breached that. You know, so we need Joanna to get to work. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Heather. Marlene? Marlene, do you want to give your question? Hi, Heather. Uh, thank you very much for that talk. And like others here, I'm, I'm aghast at the implications of it that you've been drawing out for us. Um, I'm just wondering, there's, uh, there's a growing sense of the turning point that we're coming to in terms of a Section 30 and will it won't be uh, achieved. Do you think that this Internal Market Bill itself might be just as much of a a turning point in our move towards independence? Um, God, I wish that was true. Um, we refused to give legislative consent to being taken out of Europe against our will. Um, you know, I think they'll just brazen that out because there's not, you know, it was what Mike Russell said on Saturday was when they negotiated devolution, it was absolutely clear that if Scotland wanted a Section 30 order because it demonstrated there was a case for a Section 30 order, it would be granted, right? So in 1997, if you wanted a Section 30 order and can make the case, it would be granted. And he explained that it was a much bigger fight in 2012, but the case was made that, you know, we had the right to have a Section 30 order, now they're basically saying, we could just tell you to get lost, we're not going to give you one. You know, so it's all that sort of... Um, so I, I think that there's there's definitely a challenge on the Scotland Act. There's definitely public opinion. I always get stressed when people talk about, if it gets really bad, we'll get independence because we shouldn't have to be in such a dangerous position, you know? And, and we used to use this equation a long time ago about change. And we said that change only ever occurs when D plus V plus S is greater than R, right? Dissatisfaction is D. V is vision, right? So you can be really unhappy with something, but if you don't have a vision about where you're going, people don't make the change. S is the steps to get there and R is resistance. So you need dissatisfaction and vision and knowledge of the first steps in order to overcome resistance to change. Now, I think we've got loads of D, right? Um, you know, we've got bucket loads of D and they keep filling the bucket up. <coughs> we've got plenty S, you know, we've got, we've been more, we've been behaving as an independent country since 2014. You know, so the whole sense that we're a self-governing, independent entity recognised by the rest of the world as a separate state is very powerful. Yeah. Um, the resistance to change, as you can see in those polls, is going. And so I think, yeah, we need the D, but most importantly, we need the V. We need to say we want independence because this is the kind of Scotland we are going to be. You know, where these things that are happening now won't be happening because we yeah. want high animal welfare we will look after our farming, we will protect our environment, we'll mm. feed our people well, we'll get rid of food poverty, you know, so it's like using the D, but to also have the V to, to drive people towards that. People vote for a vision. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we've got to do all, all of them at the same time. Okay. In my view. Thank you. Do we have another question, please? Anybody? I can ask a question then. <laughs> I've got sort of two things I want to roll into one. Will the Scottish Government very, very soon come up with that vision for us to go out and campaign with? That's the first question. The second one is if we look at the Kosovo situation as it was, the UK were quite adamant that, uh, what's the word when we're crushed? Uh, talked about it the other night. We did a colony. In yes. effect, we're being treated as a colony, aren't so we? We're being treated like a colony. So therefore, we have to break the rules of the ruling country, if you like, or the ruling parliament. And it's accepted that we have to break their laws. So that's why I feel the Section 30 gives power to Westminster, because they can then dabble in it and control it or have a lot to say about it, where... I think the situation is so bad that we should be able to break, we should be able to break the Treaty of Union under international law. We are absolutely see ourselves, and we're even spoken about on the BBC every day as a devolved nation, right? So before COVID, we didn't talk about the four nations and the devolved nations, and we didn't have the first minister. You know, everybody knows who the first minister is. So I think. Please don't estimate, underestimate how seismic that is, right? That all the 73% of people between 20 and 30 um, believe in independence, right? So there's there's a huge shift in our sense of who we are and who we are in the world. Everybody knew that Scotland was being taken out of the European Union against its will. We got interviews in every flipping language in the world. So the, the fact that something was happening to a nation called Scotland was international news, right? Mm. Uh, the European Union cannot um, do anything at the moment because the, U the UK is the member state. At one minute past midnight on the 1st of January, we, the UK becomes a third country. That's seismic, right? The UK is suddenly this tiny little island um, with what a less good trade deal than it had the day before with Japan, you know, um, had a really good trade deal through the European Union. Now it's got a less good trade deal. Um, so, and the European Union can't start dealing with us as an accession state until we get our independence, you know, and the questions are about, well, if we vote for, if we have a referendum next year, at the point at which we win that referendum, do we then enter into accession um, status agreement? Now, we could only do that if we've got international recognition of our case. And that means we have to stick to the law. And, and I think it's that thing about, I think the UK government are closer to giving us a Section 30 order than most people in the independence movement think they are. So I think don't underestimate the shifts and the pressures, we don't need to do anything stupid just now. We need to get there, assert the right to have an independence referendum and win it and declare the fact that we're a nation and then get international recognition. Have faith um, that we've got quite a strong case. Yeah. And I think we just need to look outwards. So instead of looking at 
Boris, you need to look outwards and make all those alliances. It was that phenomenal thing of because the Irish connections with America, Americans say that it's too real if you reach the Good Friday Agreement. You've got friends all around the world, right? And you need to get them to our cause. This bill will affect everyone uh, over the whole of the United Kingdom. Do not think being not such a law-abiding group, uh, in my opinion anyway, that England might uh, go onto the streets quite early on. Will that help our case? And the other one is, I keep feeling that waiting for an election at this point, uh, we could be defeated by various techniques that the Westminster Parliament might take. Should we not rely on the, treaty, the breaching of the Treaty of Union, get Joanna Cherry onto the case, and if we want a democratic vote on it, take that after the case that says we can declare ourselves an independent country, be the first country to vote ourselves back into a bad union. <laughs> So the, fact, the main one is the reaction of England to this bill. I, I think that if we could get enough publicity about what this means for food standards, animal welfare standards, health, in, in the agricultural bill, which comes back next week, that will increase dissatisfaction with the bill. He might not be able to get that past his... Tories, you know, if there's yeah. 40 Tories who suddenly think, oh, but, you know, this is going to affect British beer or something, you know, that might get them to put an amendment in the agricultural bill. Um, the UK internal market bill <coughs> has um, been delayed, partly because the Europeans said you either take that clause out about the Northern Ireland Protocol or the deal's off. So instead of it going to the House of Lords and coming back right away, it's sort of, you know, wallowing somewhere because Boris is trying to keep it out the way this week. So we've got the agricultural bill next week to make trouble about. Then we've got what the Europeans do with the UK internal market bill and whether he adjusts it and cracks it a bit. Um, so our MPs down there have got a huge amount of work to do. And I think in terms of, I don't think we need to break the law yet. I think we've got everything on our side. I think we're going in the right direction. I think we've got an international profile. I think people know about what's happening. I think the European Union um, will be a strong ally. Um, so we don't want to do anything that jeopardises that before the 1st of January. Mm -hmm. Hello, could I ask a question which is regarding the UK internal market bill and also with reference to the fact that there is no logical system between uh, having the Ireland era in, uh, in the European Union and the Northern Ireland out of the European Union. There is no logic. There never was. And uh, there has to be a border somewhere, whether it's in the middle of the Irish Sea or at... Um, across the border at um, Straban, I have no idea. But basically, if you think there's a problem, Heather, in the implication of the UK internal market bill, just what would be the problem, which would be when we try to create a border between 
Derek uh, upon Tweed or across uh, the length of Hadrian's Wall. Uh, I think we've, we're, we're ignoring a big uh, elephant in the room if we can't start to address what we would do as Scot an independent Scotland to um, uh, work with the next door nation which has different rules applying to it. Yeah, I, I so absolutely completely agree with you. So I chair um, the South of Scotland Regional Steering Committee and we asked, uh, that's nine local authorities, eight SNP group leaders, all the MSPs and the MPs, and we came up with a list of manifesto issues and second on our list was a positive narrative on the border. So the issue of addressing the border, because there was an article um, about a month ago in the Southern about the fact we'd be building a Berlin Wall. <laughs> um, you know, all, all that nonsense, not, not um, a good analogy. So I think um, Peter Henderson wrote a paper for Commonweal about how we would manage a border and um, with examples of other European countries of EU, non-EU borders, that idea that you wouldn't have customs checks at the border, you'd basically have sites where um, trade lorries would go to to be checked, not on the border, but by the border. And he's got examples of other countries that do that. Um, and that basically there would be freedom of movement. So the big mm. issue is freedom of movement of people, um, you know, and say there's no reason why there shouldn't be freedom of movement of people across that border every day. There's plenty EU, non-EU countries who do that. So yeah. no, there's not going to be barbed wires and um, walls and, you know, defence posts on the border. There will be a border that's managed in terms of trade and commerce and there will have to be more checks if there is greater deviation um, on one side. You know, so mm -hmm. if, the, if England decides that it's going to have absolutely no standards, yeah, we'll have to manage that because we will effectively be the border with the European Union. But mm -hmm. that doesn't mean building a wall. Um, and the whole issue around Northern Ireland and Ireland is about avoiding that kind of structure. So if they can do it between Northern Ireland and Ireland, they can do it here. But we absolutely need to start saying, this is what we'll do. This is how we'll do it. Um, and, and not avoid the argument. Would they, in fact, be stopped from labelling it Scottish? Um, well, any, any bit of their chain can say, oh, it's cost me more money. So the whole thing is a business can say, mm. if I've got to label something twice, that's more money. That means it's discriminating against me. Right. And um, so that's how this bill's so clever. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. Anything that you say costs more money. If I've got to prove, if I have to be certified to prove that my um, grapes weren't sprayed with toxic chemicals, um, that's going to put me at a disadvantage. This is a fight. This is the death throes, right? This is the fight to the end. We're not going to come through this and be settled and it'll be fine in six months. This yeah. is the fight for independence, mm -hmm. because there is no other option. There's no future for us yeah. in this RUK yes. coming. What do you think about health um, as a, being taken over by the Internal Market Bill? And in fact, we can't then uh, support the um, way that we look after not just health care homes or anything else like that. Yeah, um, because... So all the things like us saying that we're paying the living wage, 
So Gene Freeman in the COVID crisis said that the, the real living wage would be paid to staff working in healthcare. Under this bill, um, that can be challenged, right? So if somebody's running a care home in Scotland and England, they could say that's disadvantaging me because I've got to pay the staff more in Scotland. So that's to be prohibited, right? Wow. Um, so anything, so things like minimum pricing of alcohol, I don't see how tuition fees are safe because anybody could come and say that's disadvantaging me. If I was in this position, I would have to pay my fees. Why are they allowed? Everything that we have been able to put a ring round and protect is suddenly open for challenge. In the bill, it has the list of exclusions from um, trade distorting subsidy, right? Um, and at the moment, agriculture isn't on that list as an exclusion. Health is, but in the bill, it says the Secretary of State can amend the list at any point. So minimum pricing for alcohol is definitely one of them, uh -huh. right? So anything which distinguishes what's happening in one part of the UK from another part of the UK can be challenged. Right. So and, and what they say is, oh, no, no, it won't be health. No, it won't be health this week. But you can change this bill at the whim of the Secretary of State. Um, and and the, the challenges um, for discrimination come from business. So that whole thing of a bus the businesses are setting the standards. Yeah. Right? And it's a race to the bottom. It's not the government. It's not the European Union setting the standards. It's the businesses who yeah. want to make a commercial game who's going to be setting the standards. It's a lethal bill. It, and, and it's got all these so things that I think he put in the bit about um, Ireland, either because he was just stupid and he, he really hadn't read the withdrawal bill, or in order to set up a flare over there so that everybody runs over and talks about that bit of the bill while the other bits just sneak in while nobody's watching. So we're, we're so busy talking about destabilising Northern Ireland, nobody's paid attention to the fact that he's just destroyed devolution. Yes. Right? It's, there's lots of different things happening at the same time in this bill. Yeah. Would you agree, and anyone who wants to shout at me can, that this bill in actual fact, at the heart of this bill, is to the intent of completely destabilising the devolved governments. And if necessary... Have for here in Edinburgh, we've got Queen Elizabeth, uh, the new Queen Elizabeth building, which is yeah. ready to take over, over all funding control of Scottish enterprise. When yeah. I say Scottish enterprise, I mean enterprises. Yeah. And then our, our dear friends sitting in Holdwood will be able to knit or sew or whatever they like, they'll have no say in the governance of the country. Yeah. Ultimately. Ultimately, but that could be at the very beginning of next year or even before yeah. then. And and things like, I mean, coming out of the European, it's keeping coming back to this bill is what was behind Brexit, mm. right? So in terms of deregulation, opening up the market, removing the protections, moving money, you know, international capital, Brexit was about all of that, mm. right? Um, so we have to keep coming back to saying, you know, not only does Brexit remove us from the scientific community in the European Union, but this bill um, means we could be forced to do research into GM, you know, because all so it's all part of the same wave. 
Um, so we just need to get our independence. It's like we don't need any more arguments. <laughs> there is nothing. There is nothing to hang on to. And I think it's it's that whole thing about seeing everything that you thought the UK. I think it's that thing about seeing everything you thought the UK protected you on is blown apart now. Absolutely. You won't even know if your light bulbs are not going to blow up. You won't know if your kettle's not going to burst into flames. You won't know whether the meat you're eating is horse or maybe we didn't know that before, but, you know, <laughs> but the safety net yes. of that has been dismantled. Okay, have I, we got any more questions? Rippa? I just want to say, what did you think that we should do as pensioners for independence? How can we campaign? I mean, obviously, we're in COVID regulations, and so we can only really do, do things virtually. We can't really... I, I think Glasgow's done some street stalls, but, uh, I mean, what can we practically actually do? I think it's... I mean, there's all the old traditional things, like contacting your MSP, contacting your MP, mm. and, you know, saying the agricultural bill is coming back next week. We hope that you will um, ensure that as many Tories as possible support standards on UK food. I think it's communicating to other people about how um, forensically destructive this bill is. You know, it's sort of technical and complicated, but what it's about, you know, the more you look at it, it's about prizing open protections and exposing the borders so it's that whole thing so just just trying to communicate that as clearly as possible to people saying it's not just chlorinated chicken it's your light bulbs it's your car parts you know if we don't have customs um officers to take what's coming in through the ports suddenly you're into counterfeit goods you're into counterfeit medicines you're you're you know you're you're opening up the whole of the uk um to substandard produce, mm-hmm. you know? and I think we've all got a problem imagining what that's like because we haven't had it in our lifetime. I think it's writing to the papers, posting stuff. That's all we can do, really, and talking to one another and trying to see does that mean that this will be affected? You know, just question. Mm-hmm. Margaret, if the NFU would actually see the writing on the wall and and name it, that would help. If people wrote to the National Farmers Union of Scotland saying, I'm really concerned about the complete removal of protections mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. For Scottish produce and, and, and food in Scotland. So it was that whole thing of going back to Brexit, saying what Brexit did was it threatens farm support by removing subsidy. This threatens farm support by saying anybody can challenge it. It um, reduces our export markets because we're a third country, um, and it floods the market with substandard produce. Yeah. Folk are worried about that, right? So but please just share your um, views about it and say, we, and, and that thing about we want to live in a Scotland where we take pride in the quality of the produce, we take pride in our safety um, record, you know, we want our people to be fed well. There is no place for that to be protected in this current arrangement. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Heather. And even if you just want to tell your friends to have a look at the Pensioners for Independence website, it's mm-hmm. open. They can look at any of the talks that have taken place here and in Glasgow.